Hey everyone, it's Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Today's episode is a very special episode. I am bringing on one of my close friends, a man named Joshua Warren. And he's actually been on and off the podcast in some ways, more than you may realize. He is a part of a band called Cavern Company. We've mixed one of those songs on the Let's Mix and Master a Song series. But he also has played drums for some of our drum examples. And he runs War Drums, which is a satellite drumming service. You can send him tracks and he can drum and record these great sounding drum tracks for you. So if you can't find any good session drummers available in your area, or you just need something fast and you don't have the gear to record drums yourself, it's a great option. Anyway, Josh is a good friend of mine, and he and I have been talking over the last couple months about the idea of bringing him on to the podcast as a co-host, because we always have these great conversations about things, and we'll say to each other, man, we this should be a podcast. This is a great topic. Like, I think other people would, <laughs> would enjoy hearing our conversation about this. Um, we are in different stages of our careers. Uh, we are in different cities. We are in different family situations. We come from different backgrounds and how we got into audio. But I think what's really interesting is how many things we do agree on and how many things that we can just riff on for hours and hours. But anyway, so we're going to get to that a conversation here in just a little bit. I wanted to remind everyone to check out our cool new Discord channel. I know some of you have really been enjoying the Discord. I've been really enjoying the Discord. Quite a few people have already joined, but if you haven't joined, go to recordingloungepodcast.com and click the link right on the front page to go to our Discord channel. It's basically just a chat room for Recording Lounge listeners. That's really all it is. Um, and it's really cool. You can share pictures, you can talk, you can ask questions. Things are divided in different topics. One of my favorite areas is that you can share podcast episode ideas and suggestions. It's an easy way for me to look at what people want to see episodes about. And you don't have to bother with sending an email or remembering to go to the Patreon or write it on this wall. It's a, it's a neat, nice, simple place to just type out an idea. And it's casual and it's a way to help bring the community together. That's all in an effort that I've been trying to do this year to evolve the podcast and see where that goes. And just like our conversation today, I hope this is an evolution of the podcast too, where the conversation has changed and we can talk about more things in a different way, in a new way. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation between Josh and me. Josh, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm uh, excited to get to sit down and talk for a little bit. Yeah, I um, I feel like we talk all the time. I, I I've uh, <laughs> we do talk often. Um I had told some folks on the Discord about the possibility of bringing in a co-host and one of the reasons I think you and I could possibly be great co-hosts is that we do talk all the time already and you know, specifically about the topic we're talking about today, you and I are in very different places in our career, right? But like right. I, and like the totally fine, of course, but what I what I like is that I think you actually represent more of my listeners than I represent my listeners, you know? Like mm, for like, sure. Like I think more of my listeners are in your position than in mine. They have a day job, they have a family, and they want to do this and they're trying to explore what type of capacity that look, you know, what does that look like for me and my family? And that's something I I want to make sure and recognize and like say 
allowed on the podcast is that I think it's very easy for people in my position, people who have been doing this for a career for a long time, who it's been their main source of income for X years, to look at people like you or my assistant or interns that I've had or other engineers that I know and make a pretty, you know, egotistical judgment by saying something like, I'm farther along in my career than you. Because that presupposes that we're on the same path, that your goal is to be where I am, or that there's one path. And that's just not true. There's not one singular path. Everybody has kind of their own path. And I don't even know exactly where my path is leading. I mean, I have goals too. I have ideas of where I want my career to be in 10 years or 20 years. But those aren't necessarily going to be someone else's goals. And so just by that, it's unfair to compare ourselves. It's unfair and unwise, I think, to compare ourselves to say, oh, you're so much farther along in your career than me, or you're so much this, this, and this, right? It's That's, to me, is unfair for us to compare each other like that. I don't want to look down upon anyone for their position. Like, I can only really talk about what I know, you know? And mm. this is been my full-time job since I was like in college. So I don't really know any other way, you know, and I, and I want to be genuine about that. Sure. So one of the things that you and I have talked about, and we had a conversation about it a week or two ago, was this whole idea of the compatibility of dreams. Yeah. And that's a fancy way, <laughs> a very fancy way of saying, basically, do the things that you want in your life actually work? together. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of trade-offs, a lot of considerations, and it certainly doesn't get any easier as we get older. So I want to hear your perspective on this, because like I said, I, I think you have a more relevant position to many of my listeners, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, uh, so even just in the past, gosh, what's it been? We've been hanging out for probably, what would you say, like probably 10 years now? I think Cavern Company 1.0 was Around 2013, I think. Would you say that's pretty correct? Yeah. Well, actually, it would have been early 14 when we first started working together. That's right, because you had just moved into the new studio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for the sake of this topic, uh, let me give just like a little bit of backstory. You know, I uh, I went to college for pre-med. The, the plan the whole time was to uh, be a doctor, go do that whole thing. And then about six months before... I was to graduate after having spent a little bit of time with some friends who were starting a new project and were wanting to bring me on board. You know, I woke up, you know, crying in the middle of the night and I was like, you know, my wife, Madison, I was like, I want to do this. I, I really want to try music for a while. And I know that wasn't the plan, but, you know, are you okay with that? And she woke up, you know, rubbed her eyes. She's like, yeah, it sounds great. Let's go back to sleep and talk about it in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I was like, whatever. Uh, okay, uh, cool. I guess we'll talk about it in the morning. And so we woke up the next day, and I was like, I was curious if it was like gonna if she was actually gonna follow through with it, ma'am. But she's been. Yeah, I remember when I told you I wasn't gonna be a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I didn't dream that. But uh, yeah, so the next morning, I mean, she she brought it up, and she's like, I think this is a great idea. I didn't want you to be a doctor, anyways. Let's go do music. <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, 
And so we got an EP together, you know, I say EP, it's a very loose term, even for the three songs that we have, we didn't know what we were doing, but we heard that Kendall was awesome. And so we were like, well, we'll see about that. And so we walk into the studio and I see this entire rack of gear to my right. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> and then uh, we uh, tracked three songs, you know, the the Space Funk EP of Cavern Company 1.0. And uh, I, I was starting to get more interested in, um, in, in the possibility of, of this being a career and being something I could really do uh, long term. And I remember you sat me down after we got done tracking one of the songs and you asked if I'd ever considered doing session drumming. And uh, I, I really hadn't. You know, it was growing up doing music professionally was never even talked about. It was seen as this crazy dream that only people in Nashville or L.A. get to achieve. Right. It wasn't for Midwest folks. You know, we went to college. We did that whole thing. So the fact that you would even ask me and, you know, encourage me to, to look into it, like really, um, was a defining moment. You know, there's a couple of those moments. <laughs> the first one being, I wanted to go, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I wanted to go into choir in the fifth grade and my mom knew that I was just a God awful singer. And so she was like, well, <laughs> she's like, well, well, hold on. I've, I've rented this amazing documentary called Drumline with Nick Cannon. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, so that was the first, <laughs> that was the first moment, and then I, you know, really got into drumming and the music and and doing the whole drumline thing. And so when did when did you start doing? Oh, so so you did do drumline? Yeah. So I started. I technically had um, some drum lessons. I had about three drum lessons when I was four years old from the drummer in my church, uh, who's still a good friend of mine today, still doing projects, and it's been really cool to grow up now and work together. We worked on a couple projects, um, and then I was in drumline. Um, all through school, that was that was my thing. Um, I High quit. school and college. So I didn't do it in college because by the time I got to college, I had honestly kind of uh, I don't want to say given up on music, but I was just you know again we're, you know, as we're going to talk about uh, the the dreams and the time had to they were shifting. Sure. And so I really wanted to invest. Uh, I mean, dude, like uh, I think I've told you this when I was a freshman, um, I was spending twelve to thirteen hours in the library. I would sleep in the library. Um, mm. especially when I was taking organic chemistry, like I was sold out. Um, cause that, that's just, that's just kind of me, you know, if, if I'm going to do something, I don't want to do it halfway. I'm going to devote myself to it. Sure. Um, yeah, we, we, we talk about that all the time cause I'm, I'm that way too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're the type of guy, I don't know if your listeners know this, but you know, I'll get a text from you at two o'clock in the morning with, uh, Marshall schematics <laughs> and then, you know, a rundown of <laughs> the EQ curve that you changed on your pot. You know, it's just. It's insane. It's one of the things I, I love and appreciate, though, because it's it's the de the details matter to you, and I'm very much the same way. So, um, but yeah, so that was going on, and then um, you know when you when you when you said that to me, that was another defining moment where it kind of clicked. Where I was like, this could be something real. Like I, you know, this is something worth chasing for a while. So um, that's what I did uh, for a while. Was I really, you know, I sold out to the idea for a while that you know I even had this dream list where I was like, I wanted to be signed by Meinl by the time I was 21. I wanted to, you know, <laughs> just be one of the world's top drummers. Um, and that was all, the only goal I had. I just wanted to be a drummer. And, uh, you know, and then that was the dream. And then you get into music for a little bit. And then I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really starting to like producing and looking at music as a, as a holistic picture. I think this is where I'm starting to go towards. Well, you started getting into a lot of like, like songwriting and production for your own band, like thinking about like, you know, getting involved in what what part do you play? What part do I play? What do, what's the lyric here? And you know, for the drummer to <laughs> to be into that, that's usually not not as common. Yeah, because um, I it kind of 
came from this place of necessity too, where we, as we were playing more and, and touring more, I just, I didn't want to just know my part. I wanted to know everyone's part. That way, if there was, you know, cataclysmic damage where if someone forgot something or, you know, because it's, it's happened a couple times where we've gotten off, I wanted to know every single piece. That way I could redirect and change what I was doing. Because, um, you know, growing up in the church in a worship context, if you're not playing to a click, it's very, you know, spontaneous. It's very much like you're, st- you know, I've gotten so used to just staring at, you know, the worship leader because I, whatever they're doing, I want to key off of it. You just Both tempo was exactly, you know, dynamic contrast, tempo. I'm there to support. And so it just became over time kind of natural the world. I was like, I just want to know everything. Well, and what's so different about that, like like people who grow up playing in church or growing up in that sort of context where you follow the leader, that's very different from a from the way that like a more modern band has to kind of operate where they follow you. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense for you to know the songs. I, I think so, at least. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I would I would agree with that. It, the, you know, once you once we get into a pop rock context, I, I kind of became the de facto band leader between being the drummer and also just again being like the details guy. Sure. Um, you know, I I really looking back kind of feel bad for a lot of the band members I've had because there would be shows where. You know, they'd come up after the show and they'd be like, man, I actually feel really good about that. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, you, you actually missed the second half of your solo there in the bridge of the fourth song, you know. <laughs> <laughs> some, some, some light tension right. amongst the two. <laughs> They're just like, thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> but see, then you started getting into producing and recording the band yourself. And, and we had that episode years ago where I mixed that song that you recorded in that in your first home studio. Yeah, I don't even know if I really want to talk about that because I don't want people to go back and listen to that <laughs> song, but thank you for that, Kendall. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> but you got you got into producing. I helped you out as much as I, I could. You hired me to come in, check your room, mm-hmm. and help you treat the room and all that stuff. And, and I feel like that's when you and I started becoming more friends is when it suddenly like, hey, uh, Kendall, uh, quick question. <laughs> <laughs> How do I do everything? Uh, uh, how do I do? How do I make a recording? Dude, this is um, so bad. I don't know if I, I can't remember if I told you this. I thought that fader level and gain level, like Luffs, was the same thing there for a while. So when you told me to have everything roughly around negative 18, my very first mix I did, not a single fader was above negative 18. Oh. It was so bad. And I remember I sent you that but mix. See, <laughs> that that's exactly the thing that you and I talk about all the time. I just talked about it with my students about like you don't know what you don't know. Like how mm-hmm. are you even supposed to Google something if you don't – what are you supposed to Google? You know what I mean? Like Exactly. It, it And that's so tough. It's such a tough thing just as me being a teacher and like, you know, a mentor and like having an assistant now too. Like, like it, it's tough to even know where those gaps are and mm-hmm. for, for yourself and for others. Yeah, I mean that it's so true. This is that's one of the hard things that we've talked about in this profession is, you know, for anything else being a doctor, coding, you know, whatever it is, there are very few industries like this where there's not at least some kind of program where you can go in, learn, like be taught what you need to be taught and then have a test where it's like, okay, now you are qualified by experts to be able to go and do this. Sure. But because of the nature I, I mean we can do tests on the technical aspects of the gear. You know, I know you've got some of those lying around where it's like, okay, I need to make sure this guy knows what a decibel is, that he knows what, sure. you know, goes into compression and EQ, but actually... There are definitely, you know, terms and like really like hard, fast rules of things. Sure, which I, you know, looking back, wish I could have at least, you know, gotten into some of that when I first started. But again, I didn't even know that was, that was out there. I didn't know that was a thing. Sure. But when it comes to actually, you know, like you... 
I don't know that you would ever be, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if you'd ever be comfortable with any of your students saying, okay, you are, you know how to mix. Cause it's like, yeah, it's so subjective. Like, yes, you, I can pass off saying, you know, the technical side of it, but I have, I have no way of knowing if you're going to be able to go off and do justice, you know, per artist, per genre and be able to do it in a creative and artistic way. That's a different question. Right. And like, if somebody sends me, like if a student were to show me a mix and I legitimately thought it sounded great, I I would feel comfortable being like, I think that sounds great, Mm -hmm. but is the client going to like it? You know, like that's part two that you don't really know until you start working with other people how different that is. I've I've had mixes since where I've sent them to you. I've had mixes where you've hated it and the client loved it. And I've had mixes where you liked it and the client couldn't stand it, which I think is just hilarious. Sure. No, it's, it's so, it's so true. That's the thing. It's like, I can tell people what I think of it, but that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you have to listen to me. (laughs) I mean, and I get it. Like people, they respect me and they want my opinion and that's great. And that's, you know, it feels like an honor, like, oh yeah, that's, that's awesome that you really respect my opinion, but keep what, like whatever I tell you, you kind of still have to take it with a grain of salt. Sure. And, you know, I think to even take that a step further that we've talked about is because of the nature of, of the industry and getting started, one of the decisions that I made early on was that I'm going to trust you until I have proof either through um, something, you know, that is, you know, verifiable through a study or a, a graph or whatever, or through my own experience that contradicts what you're saying. Like, I'm going to lean in, I'm going to trust you because how else are you going to grow? You know, I can sit here and I can just play with a mix forever, not knowing what I'm doing, or I can take your advice, lean into it and take it as far as it can until I know that this isn't working for me, you know, or at least see where it goes, you know, like at least, at least try it. Like uh, I, I think, and, and this is something I'm proud of because, and I, and I tell people about you and your studio situation as an example, this is something I, I'm just going to, you know, (laughs) toot my own horn for a second is that toot away. I feel like, (laughs) I feel like you're one of those one of the first people I think that I've ever quote mentored, if you want to call it that, that like actually did take my advice. And I feel like you got really good faster than most people do because of that. And I think it's, it's again, it's because there are so many mistakes that I made mm-hmm. for years, like even things about acoustics or monitoring or whatever. And when I was like, Hey, you need to get good monitors and treat your room. You were like, cool. Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, the, Nice. And, and to think of how many years I spent not really understanding how important that was. And it's like, wow, did I just save this gentleman four years of like confusion from the internet? And, you know, hopefully I did. Hopefully I did help you avoid some of those, just the same things that people go through every single time. And, you know, I was just talking about this with one of my students last night. You know, I, I asked my students why why they take the class, right? And one of the things that I hear a lot is that people get tired of looking up YouTube tutorials and having no idea if it's good information mm-hmm. or, or if it's relevant to them. And I feel for them, man, because like the internet is packed with information, good, bad, sure. all of it. But almost none of it is really that well organized. Mm. And, and the same problem occurs, right? Where what are you supposed to look up on YouTube if you don't even know <laughs> what, what to Google? Like, what is a compressor, which is a term I've never heard until this second, you know? Like, <laughs> if you don't even know, sure. what are you going to Google? 
Like you're, it's basically like asking someone to Google how to be an audio engineer. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it, mm-hmm. it's such an endlessly deep topic, and it's such an endlessly it's the it's the uh, endless ocean that we always talk about. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> that you you swim down and you think, oh yeah, this is cool. I understand this, and then you realize there's this whole other network of caves and other oceans that connect, and you're like, oh. I know nothing. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. this little tiny cave of water that I thought was the entirety of the job. And and that's overwhelming, man. And and it's and and at first you think that like recording is one skill and pretty quickly you realize it is not one skill. It is thousands of small skills. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that I learned pretty quickly um coming out of, you know, recording dancing in the dark. You know, I saw what you did and it's of course and maybe you know off the top of your head. I can't remember is it the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's something like that where basically it's like when you first get into something, you're just chock full of confidence. And I I think, you know, since we've talked about that, I've thought about that a little more. I think that's somewhat necessary to come into a new venture thinking that you're going to be able to, you know, grab it by the horns because otherwise you would never get started. So I think there's a little bit of that that's necessary where you come and you're like, I can do this. And so I saw what you did with our music and I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then you get into it and immediately you're like, I can't do any of this. I don't even know what this is. Sure. And so right. that is the Dunning Kruger effect, by the way. Oh, it is. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. People basically overestimating their competence. Mm-hmm. And so you start out on a high and then you go a little bit and then your confidence drops to the floor when you realize, okay, there's so much here I don't know. And then like you were saying, you know, uh, you've got the an ocean analogy and then, you know, it's however you want to look at it. It's like, as soon as you climb one mountain, on that graph and you're like, okay, I've, I've gotten somewhere. You see that above that mountain is like seven taller ones. And you're like, oh, I, I've barely gotten started. You know, everything right. is just endless. And sometimes, sometimes you have to go down into a valley mm-hmm. first and then go back up. And then, you know, sometimes there's a plateau. Sometimes, you know, I, I like that analogy too, the, the sort of mountain range. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's always going and it's, and I, and you know, I, I think we're talking about this lightly, but I also want to really kind of sit here for a second because one of the things that if I could talk to my 18 year old self or my 21 year old self as I was getting into this, this is actually something I would really want to stress is that you need to understand that this is long and arduous and lonely like the what we do is you know <laughs> like let's be real about that you know it's uh, no lie no lies detected on that uh. <laughs> and so it's 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 difficult because you know a lot of the people that get into doing this um are um perfectionists you know sure. and or just people that really want to get this right and it, it's tough too because you're starting from square one and you're immediately um, comparing yourself to mastered references, right? Oh, so yeah. you're making your own track, and then you're then you're listening to Joe Ciccarelli from Young the Giant or Joe or Jakir with uh, Kings of Leon, and you know I don't know if there's very few people in the middle range to be able to compare yourself to and see, okay, am I even climbing the mountain at all? Right. And so, you know that you've got to go into it with this mentality that if you're going to do this, um, it's going to take time and in a, in a number of ways like it's going to take time to get your gear together not even saying you know because i have literally i think a tenth of the amount of the gear that you have you know monetarily <laughs> you speaking. still have a lot of gear <laughs> and i still have quite a bit you know which is insane but so just amassing your gear but the most you know even more than that you know not even talking about room treatments or whatever the case may be it's just the ear training and understanding what it is that you're hearing because yeah. there are so many illusions within audio we talk about fletcher munson where it's you know something's really loud it's going to appear brighter and so if you're 
mixing really loud, everything's going to sound really great. <laughs> and then you turn it down, it's like, where'd all my energy go? Sure. Same thing when you're recording guitars. We talked about that today. Yeah. You know, when you've got the guitar turned up super loud, for it to be as bright as it needs to be at that volume, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And so naturally, as you're getting into this, you're going to be like, I don't... Uh, I don't want to have it that bright. That's that's uncomfortable, but that's what's necessary. Well, and you and I both, you and I both had a period of time where we were obsessed with darker symbols mm-hmm. for this, I think the same reason where in the room, it can sound more pleasing and like interesting and dark and complex, you know, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always translate over a mic. It doesn't. Uh, it it doesn't sell the illusion, like mm. right. It, it when you, when you hear it back, it's like, how come my snare is so much brighter than my cymbals? You're like, is that right? <laughs> is that how it is? And then you're like, oh, my my ride cymbals getting completely lost. Yes, cannot hear it. You know, like, and, and then you, but then you hear brighter cymbals, and eat, especially working with clients, that gets hard because the client will be like, oh, that's so bright, and it's like, no, it's just loud. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like it's not actually that bright. Mm-hmm. Now, in other cases, the opposite could be true, where they're like, "Oh, that's so loud," but it's actually just bright. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's so it's so frustrating. I, I told my students just when I had my lecture last night from the, the, this first new class, this audio fundamentals class, and I had I told them. Uh, so I had just gotten t- done talking about Fletcher Munson. I got done talking about decibels, and somebody asked something along the lines of like, uh, "So, what do you do?" And <laughs> I, was really proud, I was really proud of my answer. I said, accept the absurdity. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> because what, do you, what can you do? You can't change your hearing, you know, like sure. accept that it's ridiculous. It's, it's frustrating that our ears are not good at hearing bass. It's frustrating that monitoring makes such a huge difference. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating that you can't mix accurately walking around. You really have to kind of sit in one spot. Mm-hmm. Like, unless your room is just, you know, fantastic, then you probably don't have a super wide sweet spot. I mean, my sweet spot, we, according to the calibrations we did, it was, what, three inches to the left and to the right? It's pretty small. It's, just, it's a narrow window. <laughs> I mean, and, but even mine, I mean, mine is maybe plus minus eight inches. I mean, mm-hmm. it's small also. And, and my room's well-treated. I've got barefoots, but is my room you know, treated on every single side, six feet thick. No, you know, is it a, is it a northward acoustics room or like a totally pro from scratch design? No. So we all have those compromises and you just kind of have to accept it and, you know, try to make the best of it. And that's the type of thing I think that is healthy for people to learn, right? When people say like, learn your speakers, learn your room, Mm -hmm. that's stuff you have to learn. But I always give the advice on the podcast, like don't learn an inaccurate room. Like you're lying to yourself. And if so much of this job is about ear training, like why? <laughs> why do that to yourself? Mm-hmm. Like y- y- you will be, because what's cool about, and I have experienced this firsthand. So doing acoustics consultations and setting up people's home studios um, recently, uh, one guy that I had set up his home studio moved and his room was well calibrated. We had this specific curve that we used for him and He moved to a totally new room. He moved all his treatment. He moved all his stuff. And we recalibrated to that same curve. And he was able to get to work and feel comfortable within days, Mm -hmm. which is like so cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it was like, hey, the room was treated before. And when we went to the new room, 
we used that same target curve. We positioned the speakers. We treated the room. We had to readjust a few things, find a new mix position. But once we got it, it was like, does this sound like what you're used to? And he was like, yeah, sounds, sounds right. Sounds yeah, now, normal. Exactly. Now contrast that with when I moved from my, my first house to this house and that room was so small and had so many issues, same speakers. But when I moved into this room, that was, it, that was probably a couple of months worth of retraining my ears because there were so many yeah. issues. But when we switched from the Focals to the Dyne Audios, within a week, yeah. like it just, it, it jumped right back because, you know, when we moved down here from the get-go, we tried to get it super flat. And I think we did a pretty good job considering, you know, the dimensions of the room. But we also, we really took our time to make sure everything was specced out the way, you know, that the room was reading. Sure. Um, but yeah, switching from those to the Dyn Audios was, was easy and quick, you know. Yeah, very. And, and that's a totally new set of speakers, but we used a similar calibration. Mm -hmm. You know, we used a similar target. And so you were already used to the decay time in the room, which is something you'll have to, quote, learn. Mm-hmm. You were used to your seated position. You were used to the height. You were used to that target. And you were used to roughly probably a similar or same level of, you know, how loud you're monitoring. But then you move up to a better set of speakers and it's like they have lower distortion. They have a wider sweet spot. They have more headroom. They mm -hmm. have more punch and clarity. Even though the frequency response curve is the same, it's actually better, you know. <laughs> sure. But it's, uh, it's loosely the same target. It's a night and day change that somehow you can get used to in a matter of weeks. And that's great. <laughs> that's a great thing. It really, it, it really baffles me how, how many times I have, I, I, I could, <laughs> how many times I have ranted about acoustics on the podcast. And, and I really hope people take your example as like, hey, it's real. It really can work and it really can help and make your job easier. Yeah, Absolutely. Getting back to the compatibility of dreams topic, you know, I have sacrificed a lot for what I do and I struggle because there's a strange dichotomy that I, I on, on one hand, I don't want to beat around the bush or talk about the career from a place that I don't really know, mm. right? Like I, I want to be genuine with my listeners or I don't want to pretend to know what it's like to be in your shoes, for example. I didn't go to med school. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I don't have that story and, and you have, you have kids. I don't have kids. That's something that is also like my own lens, how I see the world. So if I'm talking about the career or the job, or I'm giving advice from my perspective, even down to things about like what you should purchase, you know, like sure. that's from the lens of a full-time audio engineer who lives in an affordable city with no children. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think it's important for listeners to hear that context because the other side is like, I do want to give advice that is relevant to people. You know, I, 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 again, I don't want to beat around the bush the other way where I'm, I'm like faking the advice and I don't want to be too focused on my position where I'm not addressing what people actually want to hear. Uh, it, it's a hard balance trying to find that, you know, so I don't want to mislead them into thinking like, well, this is how you should be doing X, Y, Z because that's what worked for me. Right. And that's something I struggle with. And that's something that you and I have talked about a lot because your position is different. And, you know, I, I want to speak passionately about something like, oh man, you should go for it. You should do this, this, this. And in, in your mind, I'm sure there have been times where in a conversation, you're just like, man, that is not realistic. Like you need to recognize, like, that's not my life. Mm. In, a, in, of course, a, a friendly way. You know what I sure. mean? Like, like, 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, to to be fair, um, I don't think I've ever put that expectation on you. And here, here's what I mean by that. It, this kind of piggybacks off what I said earlier in terms of, um, you know, understanding that this is a, a long process. And the, the reason that I say that is because I'm the type of person, um, I've always been this way, where it's important for me to be able to say, okay, I've got two and I've got plus two. And I know for a fact that that equals four. So if someone asks me to add two and two, I can say with absolute certainty that that is four. I can say that that job is completed. That job is done. I know it's correct. I know the rules and it's done. Mixing is not necessarily that way. Um, and I also, so I've got mm-hmm. that going on. And then there's also the part of me where I jumped in full force and tried to go, you know, do this professionally immediately. And of course, I mean, you've got to start somewhere that's unavoidable. Sure. Um, but I started, you know, from square one and was expecting my stuff to sound like, you know, Joe Ciccarelli's. And that's not realistic. I, I was just, you know, but I put all that on myself. So for people that are listening to this, I, I definitely want them um, to give themselves a, a little bit of grace when it comes to that. You know, uh, that's one of the reasons I love Pensado. He's very open about this, that it will sure. take time. Um, to learn this and to do it well. But on the other end of things, you know, when you talk about trying to meet people where they're at, I, I, I know where, where that is. And I, I think that's the educator and the artist uh, in you that really cares for that. But at the same time, it's like, you can't lie to people. So if I say Kindle, right. you know, how do I get, okay, how do I get a, a quality 67, you know, a wonder, you know, a wonder 67, like you have, how do I get that sound for $500? And the truth is right. you don't. Right. You can't, you can't just like lie to people. Like there are, um, limitations, you know, or at least I don't, I don't know of a mic that I'm not in the market for a mic like that. I don't have a mic like that. So I, I can't answer honestly. Sure. (laughs) Sure. And if there's one out there, I would love to know about it. I don't know, but you know, if that's, but I think that, you know, mics are going to get better for sure. You know, but right now I think you'd be hard pressed to find something for $500. that's going to compete with the wonder, you know? Yeah. Um, but that that again that I certainly haven't yet. I mean, it's it's an amazing mic. Sure, yeah. Um, shout out Wonder sixty seven sixty seven is just what's up the greatest mic. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but I use it again, all that, the time. I mean, gosh. Anyway, but that's part of the limitation, you know, is that as you're growing, you're gonna hear sounds and you're gonna want pieces of gear that can do that sound well and quickly. And um, there, there's a little bit, you know, for lack of a better term, of settling that's going to have to occur where you're going to have to get, sure. you know, slightly cheaper pieces. You know, but there are still, like, we talk about all the time, great, you know, cheaper mics that do a great job like the KSM32. But they're oh, still going to sure. require some extra handling. You know, the KSM32 can get kind of spicy up in the top end. So you're going to have to address that. Um, right. But, you know, I, I don't— well, um, And we've had, we had that conversation, I can't tell you how many times, about guitars and guitar amps. And mm-hmm. me trying to impress upon you, like, I'm sorry, but you need to buy an AC30. <laughs> like, and what happened the day I bought an AC30? Changed my life. <laughs> Changed my life. Because every single tone that you kept sending me, you're like, hey, uh, I think they used an AC30 on this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I looked it up. They did. And then, you know, you'd send me something else. You're like, how'd they get that tone? I'm like, literally an AC30 again. Literally. And then, and you'd be like, what if I got this pedal and ran it into my fender? And I'm like, maybe, I I, I don't know. And you try it and you're like, it doesn't sound as good. And I'm like, just may consider this, get an AC30. Yep. <laughs> and then you finally got one. You're like, dang it. <laughs> how many <Right>. years? <laughs> like it's instantly that sound that you wanted to hear in your head. And, you know, and there are amps that 
do that sound really well that aren't AC-30s, but they're fewer and farther between than you think, you know, and they're not necessarily cheaper. Um, some of them are more expensive because they're boutique or whatever. Um, but man, it, it's, it's a frustrating thing. It's something that people like me and you are always chasing, you know, we're, we're, that's part of the fun of the job, I think, is chasing, like, how do they get that sound? What, what do they use for that? And then when you, you finally hear that sound, it's like, oh, there it is. You know, that was, that was like how it was for me when I first discovered a good sounding Marshall. And you plug a Les Paul into a good Marshall and you go to a 412 cabinet and it's like, oh my God, that's the sound. And see right there is, is my point though, um, that I think is interesting is you and, uh, my co-producer that I work with a lot, you guys are similar in this way. You guys love the journey. And I think that's one of the reasons that you've had the kind of staying power that you've had, um, you know, regardless of competing dreams, you know, just focusing in on this, you, it, it doesn't really bother you to, to be wrong because you're, you're always on this journey and you enjoy the struggle. We've talked about that. Mm, and I think yeah. that, you know, if we're going to take a 30,000 foot view, like that is a very big deal that I don't hear talked about a lot. Like in audio, if you're going to do this long term without, you know, wanting to jump off a bridge, like you've got to enjoy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to enjoy the struggle and the fact that it's going to take time. So if you, if you, if you're not that personality type, yeah. Like, cause uh, you and I've talked about how you are more of like the, like you want you, not that you're impatient. That's not the word, but it's like, you want it to sound great right now. And the, the journey, the struggle feels like at least at some point, you know, we've had this conversation. Maybe you're you've changed a little bit, but at one point you had said it's almost like it's an annoyance almost. You know, like right. I don't really want to necessarily trudge through the circuitry of different marshals and see how is this one different. I just want it I just want to get the time. Right, right. <laughs> and I think there's a spectrum in there, you know, as far as kind of where you land. And I, sure. I think for me I've been able to keep going because I do enjoy the struggle. The, the part that eats at me and that is difficult and, you know, makes it to where some days I don't want to get in the studio is not necessarily for me that I don't enjoy the struggle, but that for me, I think the difference is I need the security at the end that I'm going to get there. Mm. And I just don't know that audio always provides that. You know, like if, right. if I go into organic chemistry, I know that if I play by the rules and if I, if I do the puzzle – you know, then I'm going to come out with the correct answer. I know that I can struggle in the middle, but if I, if I struggle and I figure out the details, I've got a guaranteed end product and audio is just not like that. Well, and there's you know? a, yeah, there's a correct answer. Yeah. There's a correct answer that someone can say, nope, we have studied this for a hundred years and this is the right answer. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the part of audio that eats at me. That's really tough. It's tough on me too, because we've, how, I can't think of how many conversations you and I have had about like, how do you know what that is supposed to sound like? Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, well, uh, 2,000 mixes of making it suck. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the truth, you know, like, but I, it's so hard to accept Yeah, that. like, I, I don't, like, and I, again, I, I don't want to be dishonest about that. I don't want to be like, oh, man, I don't know. I just hear it. Don't you hear it? It's like, that's just mean. That's not, that's not really being honest. What the truth is, is I didn't know how to do it. Sure. For years, I didn't know how to get a good metal tone. I didn't know how to get a good snare sound. I didn't know how to get a good kick sound. I struggled with those things too. And it's important, I think. And I I agree, man. I wish more big name guys would acknowledge that. That they used to suck too. Sure, because I think at this point, Jakir and Joe, those guys, and I keep referencing them because, you know, they're 
two of my heroes, you know, besides you. Sure. Love you, Kendall. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think at this point they can pick up a mix and they can hear it in their head, the finished product, and go straight to it. But they can sure. only do that because, as Pinsato would tell you, he's had years of not only not getting it right, but he'll he'll be the first to admit, like, he's messed up a lot of mixes. Sure. And that's, a, and that's another hard reality, you know, where it's like, you know, the, we've got these incompatibility, you know, incompatible dreams kind of sprinkled out here, one of them being the incompatibility of your own person and personality as it conforms to or does not conform to the demands of the industry, right? Um, but then there's also this layer of, okay, I think everyone that gets into this, you know, on some level wants to do right by the art, whether it's their own music or the music of the client that they're working with. They want to do right by it. And that's hard to square away that dream with the knowledge that it's on some level you're going to mess it up, you know? Sure. There's going to be some times where you completely, like, butcher it, and there's going to be some times where you don't quite get it there, and that's just kind of what is necessary, though, as you continue to climb, but that, that's a that's a hard reality, though. Sure. And I, I think, I mean, when we were talking about the whole compatibility of dreams idea on the phone the other day, like, it's so fascinating to me how many times we can reapply that to different contexts. Like, I had mentioned something about you know, man, I wish that I didn't have to work so many hours. And yet mm-hmm. part of my dream as a studio owner here in Tulsa is to provide a place that is not crazy expensive for people. Mm-hmm. And that's part of a dream too. And I think it's a noble dream, but is that incompatible with not having to work so many hours? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a little. Um and, and, you know, that it's frustrating, but that's something that you have to figure out and you have to ask yourself really and make these hard decisions. Like, same type thing. Like, when I hired an assistant, part of the dream, there's like a little bit of the ego thing that's like, well, no, I don't need, I don't need anyone else to help. I can do it. Like, I just need to suck it up and stop complaining and blah, blah, blah. But then the other part of me is like, man, I really wish part of my dream is to be able to provide things to clients as efficiently as I can. Mm. And to not waste time and to not have them sitting around waiting for me to set up drum mics for an hour, you know, like, and so the fact that even just that, even just that one little part, the fact that I, yes, I do have to spend a lot of money on paying a person now, but it can provide that for them. It's like that dream is now more important to me. Mm. And, and that's, I don't know. It's just so interesting. Like I never really had the dream of moving to New York or LA. And, and I think, I th- like, I think it's important that in my life to, to recognize or point out or whatever, that in my life, it's like, it just so happened that my main big dreams were compatible, mm. you know? And there are a lot of people, you and I both know that like their dreams don't always make sense in terms of compatibility. Like they want to move to LA and they also want to have a big house and it's like, where? Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, like even things like that. It's like, okay, hey, that's that's fine. You can dream that. But like, let's be practical about it. Like there's a practicality there. And I'm a practical kind of person. And, you know, I don't dream of making millions of dollars. Like that's not a dream I have. Um, that'd be cool, but that's not a dream of mine. And some people do. Some people do want to make lots of money. Um, you know, I... I I don't know if me and my wife will have kids. We have talked about that. We are both on the same page about that, where we're both kind of like, it's it's not out of the out of the picture, but is it a big prominent dream for both of us? Not necessarily. Sure. 
And for a lot of people, it is, and that's totally fine. But like you talked about, how much time this career takes. Yeah, that's I mean, uh, that's a, a thing I really actually had to evaluate relatively recently. You know, I asked you, you know, you've been doing this, you've been doing this how long now, 15 years? 15, yeah. 15, and you still work most Saturdays, don't you? Every Saturday. Every Saturday. So that was a, that was the thing I had to square away with myself if we're being honest. You know, I, um, so when I first got into music, you know, there was this dream of wanting to be uh, the best drummer in the world. But then, you know, I started getting into a band context. We lost our bass player. And so at a necessity, I had to pick up bass and then I got really into producing. And so at that time, the dream shifted as well. And then, you know, it was just me and my wife had some excess money that I could pour into it. Even more importantly than that, I had excess time that I could pour into it. Right. Uh, and then, you know, we now we have two kids. And it's one of those things where it's like on Saturdays, I'm not willing to compromise that time anymore. And so my dreams have shifted again. And I'm having to think about where does where does music fit into that? Because I need to be able to keep music um, f- basically to Monday through Friday. Um, and if I can't do it during the daytime, a couple hours in, in the evening, you know, but even that, I don't really like to give up too much of my evenings either because I want to reserve that time for my wife and for my kids because my, my biggest dream now, um, and I think this is an important thing to to note is that I I do think there is a hierarchy to our dreams uh, as well. And so I would say my most prominent one is I want to be a present husband and I want to be a present father, uh, to my kids. That's what's most important to me. And so now there's still a dream of wanting to do music, but there is now incompatibility with the amount of time that I can give to it versus what I once could. And so that, that's just, that's just a part of life. And so, and I, I think that we should expect that to happen. I don't think that that should catch us, you know, necessarily off sure. guard or scare us. Yeah. I, I think that there is this sense of, um, as you grow and as life happens to you, you're going to be forced into some situations where your dreams are going to have to change and you're going to have to adjust course now. Yeah, or or rearrange, you know? Yeah. yeah, or rearrange, you know? And so now my, my dream is just to simply to ha- have music in my life. You know, I'm kind of switching careers a little bit to where I can have a little bit more stability financially for, you know, for the family to where we don't have to worry about that. I've got my time with my kids. And then outside of that, how now can I continue to do music in a way that fits under my, you know, prime dream? Right. And I think it's, I think part of the, this is, you know, me just having a very positive moment. Uh, (laughs) I think part of the fun of a dream shift or a rearrangement of your dreams is it's like a new puzzle where you're like, okay, what can I do that is still what I love to do, but in this context now? And that's, that's fun sometimes to try to figure out that challenge and to try to figure out, okay, I have this much time and I want to do something with music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to have to give up some things you love. You know, one thing that you and I have talked about is like, I gave up many years ago playing in bands. Sure. And that was sad, but I kind of had to do it because I just don't have the time. I I just do not have the time to, to rehearse and gig and play gigs for not that much money, you know, like, and yes, I'm passionate about it. But for example, I could then sink more of my passion into playing on sessions, mm-hmm. which is a similar feeling. It's a similar kind of itch that is scratched. You know what I mean? Where you're still performing and you get to be you and you get to, uh, you know, perform for the record. But it's just different. And and so some of it is uh, as the dreams rearrange, you have to kind of... Uh, change your perspective on those two and not feel like it's a failure. 
I think that's important mm, also. Which I do internalize that a lot. So I'm glad you said that because that, that is the truth. Yeah. I don't think we believe that all the time, but that is the truth. That it is, it's not, the changing of dreams is not a failure of a dream necessarily. No, no, it's just, it's, it's just a, it's an, an evolution of it. It, it has changed. Sure. And, and that's okay. And I think it's healthy too. Like I think, I think it would be very difficult to find someone successful who has never, ever wavered in anything they've ever done or said or dreamed. <laughs> it's mm. like, you know, what's funny though, is I feel like that's the, the heroes that we look at, you know, that's kind of, um, you know, you look at Lord of the Rings, you know, and you look at Frodo and it's like that dude never <laughs> wavered. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing is that, you know, they, they do, but that they continue to move forward to whatever end, you know? Right. And what we're here, I, I am curious. I don't, I don't want you to, I don't want to feel like I'm pulling things out of you that you're not ready to share, but I, I think it would be good for some people to hear. I mean, how long did you go without a vacation? Oh my God. Um, so we got married in 2012 also like you. And, um, mm -hmm. we went on a vacation probably, we went to Colorado in 2018. <laughs> mm -hmm. So six years without literally a single vacation. And then I took another vacation this year for the first time basically since then. Um, and that that's something I think that's a great point because that's like most people wouldn't think of like a vacation as a dream, but it kind of is. It's part of a dream, you know, like being someone who can take vacations regularly is a dream. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and and spending quality and quantity time with your significant other, <laughs> that's a dream too. And obviously I want that. And that's another reason I'm very happy with the decision to hire an assistant because I do have more time with my wife and I do have more time um, to spend with her and I do have less stress. I don't feel the need. This is something I, I pointed out to Audra Recently, it's my wife, um, for anyone who doesn't know that name. <laughs> um, Josh obviously knows that name. Um, she had remarked about something the other day about, like, you know, I, do, I don't know if it's really saving you that much time. Like, I know you're getting more stuff done during the day, and that's great. But, like, is it really saving you that much time? And, you know, she was legitimately asking, like, from my perspective. And I was like, well, something that she doesn't necessarily see is that a lot of times— in the middle of the night, because my wife goes to bed early, right? She goes to bed, well, she goes to bed at normal times. <laughs> uh, I go to bed very late, right? So she goes to bed at like 10 and I'll go to bed at like 2. If you go to and bed. And <laughs> very, yeah, if I go to sleep at all. Um, it is very common for me to come out here to the studio and clean up, tear down mics, set up mics for the next day, uh, you know, send files, whatever. I haven't done that. But maybe once this entire year. And that is huge for me because even though I'm not really taking away from our time together, that's huge to me because I know my assistant's going to show up in the morning. He'll take care of it. I don't have to go to Walmart at midnight to get a pack of water because he can get it on the way. Shout out Tristan. You know? Yeah, I know. Like it, it's those little things that add up. And at first it might seem like, well, you're still working 10 to 7. And it's like, well, yeah, because that's my operating hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, at first, I think it seemed a little like, man, I thought you were going to have all this time. It's like, well, I do. It's just time you didn't realize. But what that means is, what I'm getting at, is that that allows me to 
fulfill another part of my dream, which is to have less stress in my life. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and to have more downtime and to have more away time from the studio to to help me stay fresh and not get burned out. And even bigger than that, and this is something that I feel like most relationships, marriages, whatever, have talked about or struggled with or something the longer you're together is like, I want to give my wife the best version of me, not a tired, exhausted, frustrated version of me, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. I think that's a noble dream too, that we should want to give our spouses a good, healthy version of ourselves. Sure. Not just like whatever's left at the end of the day. <laughs> and I think that goes back to another topic, which I think would be fun to explore at some point. We talked about in the past, this just this idea of rest. And I know that probably everybody everywhere struggles with this to a degree, but man, for whatever reason, this industry specifically, like we've talked about, and maybe it's just the obsessive nature of people that tend to get into this industry, but right. you, know, you, you work your 10 to seven and then you go inside and then you're trying to have dinner with your wife when you're thinking about, man... <laughs> I could probably go out there real quick for, you know, a a quick, yeah, that snare though. I could go out for a quick 30 minutes and fix that snare. I'll be right back. And then six hours later you come in, you know, she's asleep. There's a note on the door saying dinner's in the oven or whatever it is. And it's just like learning to let go, learning to rest, learning to, you know, realizing that that hour of Zelda at the end of the day is not laziness, you know, that's right. That's you recovering. No, that's, that's that's for real though. Yeah. Yeah. Me and, me and Audra have talked about that many times that like, she actually loves seeing me play a video game because I don't do it super often, but she loves seeing me play video games because it's not audio. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's just like, you are doing something that is fun for you selfishly and you don't do it that often. It's not like an unhealthy habit or anything. It's just like you're doing it just because it's fun, just because you want to and or read a book or listen to a podcast, something that is not studio related. And I think it's healthy. I, I really do. And Another thing I wanted to point out before I forgot to mention this earlier is that it also just so happens that my wife has a career that she is passionate about and she loves and she works all day too. And that's something that I also recognize is not always the case for most people. There are people who have stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads or they have part-time careers or they have jobs that they don't really like, you know, and Mm -hmm. there are so many different relationship dynamics and something that Audra always likes to say is, you know, nobody knows your relationship better than you. And so it's tough sometimes to talk to other couples or, or talk about advice or read books or, you know what I mean? When it's like, well, yeah, but our relationship is different. Like there are definitely times in my life where people have judged me or my wife or our relationship because of like that we don't go on a lot of vacations or we don't have a lot of time together or that I work until seven every day, sometimes later. And that used to bother Audra when we first got married. That bothered her, you know, it kind of got to her. But then she started to realize pretty quickly, like, oh, well, that's just our life. I mean, people who have uh, husbands and wives in the police force or the fire department or the military, their life is very different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like their schedules are wacky. And so for people to judge them just for a strange schedule or whatever, it's like, that's not fair. That's, that's their life. Like that's, that's what they're passionate about. Don't you want people who are passionate about their jobs doing that? That's good. That should be positive. And, you know, there have been times in my marriage where our schedules were really different and that was hard. That was very hard where she was working even earlier. You know, she'd work like a super early morning shift and get off at like three o'clock or four o'clock. Oh, wow. And so she was like alone for like three or four hours. And it was like, well, this is weird. 
and you know, there were times when we struggled more with money and, and, you know, her job didn't pay very well at that time. I wasn't making as much back then. And we were both just working, working, working all the time. And it's not sustainable, you know, it's just, it's just not. And so I'm very thankful that at this point in my life, my dreams and my wife's dreams just so happen to finally be like compatible and it feels good. I'm not trying to brag about it. You know what I mean? But I'm happy about it. Sure. And I mean, it's something to celebrate. Yeah. 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 Where it's like, we have figured out how to make this work where she is happy. I'm happy. We still get time together. We get, we're getting more and more time together. We are being more intentional about spending time together and making that time count, making memories, right? That's something we all want. And yet still aware and honest about the fact that those dreams might change. You know, one day we might decide, Hey, we both are really wanting to move somewhere. That would be a huge dream change sure. because my clients are here. <laughs> or, But even, even something smaller, like we do want to have kids maybe someday, right? Like maybe that. That would possibly change. I mean, gosh, there, there's, the, there's the guy with no kids saying, that might possibly change my life. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I'm sure anybody out there with kids is like, good. Oh, my God. This, this guy, guy has no idea. idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes, it would definitely change my life. You know, it would change yep. everything about your life, your, your timing, your energy, your, your focus. And that's fine. That it should, you know, it has sure. to. And so we're, we're in a good spot, you know, and for, for years we were not. And that's something that I think a lot of audio engineers don't talk about is like, it can be very tough on their marriage, on their relationships, because it is strange. It is, you know, Audra jokes that it's kind of like being a military wife or police wife, you know, <laughs> like Madison has said the same it, thing. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like, are they going to come home tonight? I don't know. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it's kind of dark, but like. That's sometimes how it can feel because trying to have a job based around the creative process, I mean, that alone is just like, it's just a recipe for who knows when it's going to be done. Right. Art art has no timeline, really. You know, it's it's very different than like a syndicated kind of like, okay, I'm going to write a song from nine to five and then I'm done. Like that's that's a different career. That's a very different thing than in the audio world. I feel like the expectation, not only from ourselves, but from clients is kind of like, we go until it's done. Mm -hmm. If that's 6 p.m., thank the Lord. If that's 10 p.m., then it's 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> or midnight. <laughs> Do not thank the Lord. <laughs> then, no thankfulness. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's tough, man. And and I, I wish more people talked about it. I, I, I wish more people talked about how this isn't for everyone. You know, like, and I, I think it's because it, it sounds negative to say, like, and, and I think people interpret that statement to mean not everyone is cut out for this or like you may not be good enough to do this. And that's not really what I think that statement is meaning. You know what I mean? No, it's not. It's not a challenge. It's it's meant to protect you. Yes, because, again, if if your life goals and your career goals are not compatible with your relationships, with your kids, with your family, with money, with vacations, whatever, that is a huge like roadblock yeah. that could cause a lot of friction in your life, in your marriage, in your friendships. I mean, that's something that, you know, I'll just be real, like a dream of mine. I wish I had more friends. That's a, re I mean, I'm just being real. Like I have a small handful of friends. You're, you're one of my close friends. I think I've got three or four other close friends, but I don't get to see them very often. And I think just a kind of personal selfish dream was like, man, I, I wish I could 
hang out with my friends more often, you know? Sure. But I try to give whatever spare time I have to my wife. And I think that's good too. I think that's a noble thing. And, you know, I remember having this conversation with my dad when I was like 15. And I remember asking him like, you know, dad, I don't really see you hanging out with friends. Like, do you have friends? Like, (laughs) uh, and he was like, well, your mom's my friend. Mm. And I remember being like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like I was like, but I mean like guy friends, you know, like you have guy friends. And he's like, I mean, I got a few, I, I guess. And I remember him just being so casual about it. Like, yeah, you just, I mean, I spend most of my time with, with my wife. What, what's weird about that? And I remember thinking that was so strange because of course, when you're 15, 16, like all you want to do is hang out with your friends. Right. And that's all I wanted to do at least. And I, I wanted to hang out with my friends all the time. And, and now all I want to do is and, hang out with my wife. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's, it's a funny thing. You know, it's like, I, I love hanging out with my wife and we are friends. We are, we get along. We want to spend time together. And, and I don't know, maybe again, that maybe that is an unrealistic dream, you know, like to, uh, you know, maybe it's like my brain is, is kind of hanging on to this like sitcom mm. impossibility that, <laughs> that, that adults, that married adults will actually get to hang out and have friends. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's possible, um, but you know, it just goes back to what we've been talking about. It's like, where does that dream rank on the hierarchy and, and what are you willing to compromise to get it, you know? Sure. Again, it, it, it's a compatibility with other people's dreams too. Sure. Right? Like if they have crazy schedules or they have crazy jobs or they have kids, that's that's a very real thing, right? Where like your friends have kids and you don't and you don't hang out with them as much because they have right. kids. Well, to that end, uh, it is one of my dreams that at this moment is my highest dream, which is to stay married and not have my wife kill me. And she's about to, uh, <laughs> she's got to do part of her job. And so it's time for me to play dad. So, uh, man, this is, this has been a lot of fun, man. I, I really appreciate you letting me come on and, and talk about this stuff. Dude, thank you so much for, we've been talking about this a while. I'm so glad you had a chance to, to come and just talk about this. Absolutely. I hope it's, I hope it's helpful for your listeners, man. I appreciate you and I appreciate all the work you do with, uh, the closet studios, the recording lounge, and even just, uh, as a friend, it really does mean a lot to me that, uh, you give so much of yourself and of your time, um, uh, you know, as a friend, but also, I mean, as a mentor these last 10 years, it, uh, it's been a game changer and I really think it's the, uh, the main reason why I'm, why I'm still doing it and enjoying it. So thank you. Thanks, man. That means a lot. I hope to have you back on the show soon. Maybe, uh, maybe more regularly. Sounds good, man. I'd enjoy it. Yeah, dude. I'll let you go. All right. See you, man. See ya. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you saw some of yourself in it, and I hope that you felt seen and recognized as another person out there with your dreams and your aspirations. And I hope the conversation about that is interesting to you, that it maybe gave you some things to consider, or maybe it just helped you feel not so alone in your particular pursuit as Josh said, this can be kind of a lonely career. It can feel like nobody else understands me but me, and nobody else understands what it's like to do this as a job. Um, So hopefully you felt a little bit understood today. Uh, As always, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our website where you can get a link to sign up for our mailing list. You can also check out the Discord channel, which is right there on the front page. And I also hope you'll consider becoming a Patreon supporter. It's the best way to help this podcast keep going, to help support the podcast financially, whether it's a dollar, two dollars, a couple dollars per episode, whatever. It really starts to add up and it helps me offset the costs of hosting the podcast, 
the website, the domains, and of course the time it takes to do the podcast editing, you know, recording all this stuff, writing my outlines and coming up with episode topics. Um, it, it, it can take a lot of time, but I, I love doing it when I can, when I have the availability. So it's definitely a great way to help support that and keep the podcast alive. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash recording lounge. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash recording lounge. I hope all of you have a great week and a great weekend and a great month. I'll talk to you very soon. See ya.